story, a greater story. And that's how he says, the message that we heard from the beginning. Guess what? It's true. Reminds me of, uh, do y'all remember the, the Peter Pan movie when it was adult Peter Pan? And he's forgotten all that has happened. And Maggie, who had gone to Neverland with them, tells him at a certain point, the stories are true. It happened. And that's what John lays out here in this, in this epistle. He says, that which we heard from the beginning. And he uses this word, the beginning. You know, from the beginning of the Bible on, here's like some good Jews have heard the story, have heard this message of God's covenant pursuing love and his grace for them as a people and so on. He says, remember that story? Well, we have seen, we have heard, we have touched with our hands the story which found its climax in the person of Jesus himself. Well, here in chapter 2, again, John tells us a couple of things. First of all, he says, in this, he says in the last, we're in the last hour. This is the, uh, you know, this, this time before, between the coming of Jesus and when he would return, a time of testing, a time of challenge. And he says that there are people and that there are things out there that are trying, in verse 26 says, trying to lead us astray. And these are competing messages, competing voices, trying to lead them astray. And some, as a matter of fact, he tells us here, have left the church. Some have gone out and moved away from the church. And he's kind of addressing that. He's saying, some have gone out from us. That we know because they've gone out from us, they weren't really a part of us. In other words, what he's saying here is, people leaving the church sometimes is not always a bad thing. Uh, it's uh, what Charles Wesley, I think, called blessed subtractions. He was on a missionary journey at one point. had come home, uh, I think, to England. And uh, somebody asked him, oh, you know, uh, Mr. Wesley, did, was the, on your trip, did you have any blessed additions to the faith? And he said, no, but we had some blessed subtractions. Get, you know, and so, there, so here's the thing. Also, a big church isn't always a good church, a healthy church. And um, sometimes bigger just means more problems and more unhealth. I've been in big, I've worked at big churches. I've worked in a church in Memphis, thousands strong. And it wasn't super healthy sometimes. Or even when I came, the church that we planted out here, uh, Pinewood. When I got there several years ago, well, gosh, eight years ago, I mean, it was a mess. It was a, a lot of people, but it was kind of a big mess at the time. And, and so a lot of people together doesn't mean a good thing. And he's kind of addressing that. And he's kind of addressing why they've left. They've left because why? They've not held to the truth they've not held to the surpassing story and so he's so he really a good question here to ask is and he's kind of maybe addressing them so they've seen them go and there's probably this question so how do we as God's people stand in the face of this opposition or in the face of potentially us ourselves falling away and become going astray how do we stand this opposition? How do we not fall away like the others? And so here, in order to avoid the soul-destroying nemesis narratives, we must, first of all, abide in the Word and abide in Christ. 
So if we're going to withstand, avoid the soul-destroying nemesis narratives that we saw, we need to abide in Christ, excuse me, abide in the Word, and abide in Christ. And so first of all, we see that, that we are to, abide, we are to be abiding in the Word. So how do we fit? So John tells them exactly what they need to do. He says uh, we should be abiding in the Word. Look in verse uh, 24 with me. It should be up on the screen. He says, as, as for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. What has they heard from the beginning? It's that surpassing story. It's that gospel message that has been given to them. He said, what you have heard from the beginning. We saw this in chapter 1 and several points. And he lays out that this is what we have seen and this message has been given. So he's telling us to abide in the word. The apostle Paul picks up the same theme in Colossians chapter 3. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs of thankfulness in your hearts to God. Or the psalmist David says the same thing in Psalm 119. I have hidden your word in my heart that it may not sin against you. And so he's calling us to abide in the word. And, and one of the things, though, is he's really careful here to say, first of all, we, we need to be careful not to, to add to this or try to adjust the message in any way. We don't need to adjust this message to make it more culturally appealing or anything like that. It just needs to be what it is. If you look in verse 27, he says, As for you, the anointing which you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and, it, and that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. What is he saying there? He's saying, you've heard the message. The message is sufficient. The message is all that you need. One author put it this way. All along there has been certain quality, intent, of efficacy, and consistency characterizing the saving message they embraced. They should continue to let it do its work and not to seek to make drastic revisions in their message or their response to it. So we have, the, we have the word, we have the gospel, they have the, the gospel, and he's saying, abide in that gospel. So how do we do that then? How do we abide in the word? What does that mean? To abide in this gospel message. Okay? So first of all, he's not talking about just knowing scripture intellectually. Now, to abide in Scripture, in, in God's Word, you have to know it intellectually. Okay, let's just, we do. That is a given. You must know it intellectually. But he's already talked about those who say they know God. But their actions and their hearts reveal they really don't. So they know the truth. They know it intellectually. But, they, but it hasn't, hasn't gone the 18 inches to the heart. So, it's, so he's not talking about just hanging on to the message intellectually. Okay? So what does he mean to abide in the truth, abide in the word? Okay? Well, abide here is a, uh, it's a, it's a Greek word that means to, to, to rest, 
to dwell, to live, to stay, to remain. So it has all those meanings kind of tied up in it together. So let's put it, let's just put it this way. So abide in the word means, so instead of, um, let's, in our culture, it'd be the difference between buying a house and renting, maybe. Okay, you, you buy a house, you're, you're, you hope to stay there a long time. You rent, you know, your lease might be up in you know, six months, a year, or whatever. It's not permanent. You just can't, or it might be the difference between like, living somewhere and visiting. And I think a lot of us as God's people, we visit Scripture. We don't live there. It's a big difference, isn't there? So if he says, abide in the Word, it means that we live there. We dwell there. It's our home. It's more than just a place we visit on Sunday morning. It's more than that. Okay? And so... And it's also a present tense verb here. It's an active, active verb in which is continually be abiding and living and dwelling in God's word. Okay? And so, this, here it is. The essential meaning of our active abiding is the act of receiving and trusting at all that Jesus, that God is for us in Christ. It's, it's an act of in, in, in making God's word and what he has given to us in Christ, in the gospel, like a, a central part of our lives. Um, John Piper put it this way. If a branch remains and abides uh, or abides attached to the vine in such a way that it is receiving all that the branch has to give. Then that is a picture of what John means by believing and trusting Jesus. He's... He says in John 1.12, he says, To all who did receive him and believed his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so this idea, uh, and if John uh, picks up in, uh, in his gospel in uh, chapter 15, he says, abide in me. He says, uh, abide in me. Let's see. Verses 4 and 5, he says, uh, he says as a, abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. And whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So he's saying, what, he's taking, I love how Piper put it. It is taking all that the, 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 the vine can give me for my life. And if you cut that off, you know what happens to a branch if you cut it off, right? If you, if you chop off a branch, it may look good for a while. And uh, as uh, Francis Chan, uh, did a really good illustration on it, he's like, he had a branch in his hands. And he was like, look, see this branch? This is what we do. You cut this off. This branch now is what? Literally dead. It's, it's dying. And so as Christians, we just try to fix that. We're like, I'm going to make this branch do something. Make it be something, I want it to bear fruit. It is not, never going to. And that's what, and so, what, in other words, what, what, what Piper's pointing to here with this idea of abiding is, is that we would take all the life that the gospel has to give us and that it be our home and be where we rest. And so let's talk about what this looks like. Practical. Let's get a little more practical here on this. Um, he's, so last week we talked about these nemesis narratives. And so, um, remember this, this, I, this 
picture I gave you guys last week. We talked about how um, and, uh, sociologists, brain scientists, and so on have talked about how as, as little children, we, be, we start to have experiences. Some are very amazing, positive experiences. Some aren't so. Some are horribly painful. And all those experiences start to collect into our lives. And as human beings, it's our nature to begin as we grow up to connect the dots. We begin to form a story, a narrative of our lives. Sometimes that story is disconnected, sometimes contradictory. Sometimes we have one story in one part of our lives, another story in another part of our lives. But we all begin to put these together. And in, and in our sin and, and a rebellion against God, and in our idolatry, or as we talk about it as our autonomy and self-sufficiency, we begin to put those experiences and respond to those experiences together into a narrative. And then the enemy begins to give us narratives. Did God really say that? What, are, you know, you're really not a great person. You're, you're not good enough. You're, not, you're dirty. Those are the kind of messages. And then the world gives us other narratives that say, you know, you can be successful if if. Or you can, you can do this on your own. You can be happy if only you do this and that and so on. And so we begin to, 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 to and I love this drawing of this tree. Because you see that that, that trunk is not uh, monolithic. It's, it's twisted and it's, it's, you know, there's all kinds of different parts to it and, and vines going up it. And, and then once we begin to put those narratives together, it begins to, to form our attitudes, our behaviors, our intellectual beliefs, and so on. And so, um, and so this is what happens. And uh, what I, one of the things I, I like to, you know, it's really helped me understand where teenagers are throughout the years is at, at that point is when uh, uh, children go from borrowed stories from their parents. Their parents have been connecting the dots for them. And they've been rehearsing other stories and movies and TVs and so on. And they begin, as a teenager, to form their own story. And when those pieces don't fit with what the world says or what what they've been told, and and they can't quite reconcile their experiences with the stories, and they can't quite disconnect, you get teenage angst. And you get troubled children, right? You've seen it. That's why teenagers are going through a mess because they're trying to put these pieces together. Sometimes it goes into their 20s now. They live in mom's basement or whatever. Um, so what does it look like positively then? Okay, We begin by, what does it look like to abide in the Word? It is to reframe and supplant false narratives with a greater one, with a better story. And so if you look at it, let's re- reframe this. And we begin to uh, reframe and put those pieces back together, those core experiences and the things that we've, we've put together, those dots that we've been connecting. We start to reframe them with the Word, with the help of the Holy Spirit. And that means, guys, you because know, you don't really see it here, but if you if were to draw a line... You know, right around, right, right across the that that screen where the trunk is, is what soil. And, and soil in our hearts, and sometimes we got to dig deep and get in there and, and wrestle with these things. Sometimes, you, in order to 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 help a tree, uh, 
you, you, if you were to try to make a tree healthier, you'd like dig up the soil around it maybe and start to begin to put fertilizer down into where? The roots. And so that means going back sometimes and rehearsing and revisiting some of the stories that we've experienced and some of the narratives. So like, for example, I've, I've talked about some of the narratives I picked up and, and latched onto. You know, my dad, my parents were divorced when I was like one years old. So my dad wasn't around a lot. And so a, a narrative began, which was, you know, I, I'm not good enough for him to stay around. And then also with that, because my mom's single mom, and I'm, you know, and, and my brother was living, and we were in some, you know, kind of abusive situations and things of that sort, I began to form the narrative, I'm alone, I have to do this on my own, I must survive. And one way I'm going to do that is, is keep people like out here, right? And that narrative it drove me. It drove me to, to, to do all kinds of bad things when I was a teenager and go on down the list. And so I, I've had to go back to that narrative and begin to try to reshape it and reform it with the Word, which the Word says, no, Russell, you're not alone. I'm with you. You're not an orphan. You're my son. You're loved. And, and you can let people in. Because of the gospel. And we can reframe that story. And it can reshape who we are. Um, and so, um, it's about being reframed and reshaping. And sometimes supplanting those false narratives. And so there's... And actually, what's interesting now is that um, psychology has begun to pick up on... The, I mentioned this earlier, like last couple of weeks that psychology has begun to pick up on the need for us to reshape our stories. It's actually called narrative therapy. Anybody heard of that? So it's become really big in psychology now. And it's basically exactly what I just described to you, which is to go back and to readdress some of those narratives that are, have formed us and are forming us and driving us as people. And sometimes those narratives are rough, tough narratives. You know, if you're going to therapy, there's sometimes a lot of trauma and pain and things in our lives and our past that just make us do things and we don't even know why we're doing them. Now the problem with narrative ther therapy is they are uh, avowedly um, existentialist, which, which is to say that they, and I, I'm not making this up, I've just read this this week, uh, that they are existentialists. In other words, they don't believe there is an absolute truth. There isn't a surpassing story. So, if there's no absolute truth, it's up to us to create truth. Now, I was talking to a friend of mine who, who is a sociologist, and I, asked, and I was asking him, like, how do you, if you can't give them, a, you know, the story, a better story, a better narrative, then what do you do? And he's like, I just, you know, give them the best tools I can and hope they can help themselves. And I was like, I don't know how you do that. Because think about it. How do you tell somebody, how do you help somebody who has gone through trauma and, and, and has been abused and then every other experience throughout their life has nothing, nothing but confirmed that story and now their life is a wreck and a mess and now you're going to say, oh, just make up a new story out of the air. Just pull it out of the clouds. That'll work. 
No. You know, how do you, how do you get air out of a cup? You put a vacuum cleaner on it? No, if it's, if it's strong, it's going to break the cup, right? You can't suck air out of a cup. How do you get air out of a cup? It's the easiest way. Fill it with water. Fill it with something, right? Supplant it. Put it with something better in it. And that's what, the, that's what John is talking about here, is that, that we would abide in the Word, and these false teachings, these false narratives would be supplanted by a surpassing greater story. And that's the thing, is that John declares that here there is a truth, an absolute truth that reframes everything on it. So, we are to abide in the Word. Secondly, we're also, see here, uh, to be abiding in Christ. Look at me in uh, verses, uh, verse 28. He says, and now dear children, continue, this is the word, this continue is the same word, Remain or abide in him so that when he appears, you may be confident and unashamed before him in his coming. And then up in verse 25, it says, if it does, you will remain in the father and the son. And in verse 27, he also talks about remaining in him. And so this idea that we would abide and remain in Christ. And Jesus tells us that the more more well-known passage we already mentioned in John 15 where Jesus says abide in me I'm the vine you're the branches abide in me as a, as a branch abides and rests and lives gets life from the vine and that's what he's talking so what does that mean what does it mean to abide in Christ so first of all one thing we must make sure we understand here because this can get really guilt trippy because you start thinking, well, I don't want to abide in So I, if I don't abide in him, I could lose, you know, I could, you know, saying, you follow what I'm getting at? So then you start feeling guilty about not abiding. And so first of all, you need to understand that abiding in Christ is first and most of all an act of God's grace. It is an act of God. You, if you are abiding, it's because God has brought you into the, he has grafted you in. To life, He has given you a seat at the table, so to speak. And so we see that here in verse 20. He says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. We, we know the story. We, we, we resonate with the story. Why? Because he's, he's brought us and he's given us the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit opens our hearts to hear the stories. Where's he getting out here? It's what John would talk about when he said, when, or when he would refer to Jesus' word, you know, in order to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again in John chapter 3. Um, and so there's just, so first of all, we need to just realize that abiding is an act of God's grace. Secondly, though, abiding in the word or the gospel is living in a new or a better story. It's about shaping our lives into a new and better story, which is the gospel. Okay? And, and this story, you see at the beginning of this whole, um, uh, this whole chapter here, or excuse me, this whole letter that he writes, is he says, you know, that which we have heard from the beginning, we've seen it, we've heard it, we've touched it, and guess what? It is living. It is alive. It's not just some random 
made-up story. And it's, it's not just this intellectual idea. It's, it's a story of God's love of sending His Son Jesus to live a life we could never live, to die a death we deserved. And not only that, this idea, when he talks about seeing and touching and hearing, he's talking about Jesus raised from the dead, resurrected Jesus. And in that is hope beyond all this mess. And so he says, it's about living in that story. Uh, John Piper says this, I I like his thinking on this. He says, believing is a receiving of Christ into the soul, welcoming him, trusting him, as it were, drinking and eating and savoring him. This is what he says in John 6.35. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, but whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So in other words, what I think he's pointing to here and what, what, what it means to abide in Christ, it's about relationship. Now, uh, it's about having a relationship with him. Not just an uh, intellectual idea, not just observing certain um, rules and regulations or doing certain behaviors and all these kinds of things, that we would step into a vital living relationship with Jesus himself. However, to have a relationship with somebody, a healthy relationship, it has to be built on healthy stories. It has to be built on stories of trust, right? Think about it. Okay, if you get married, what do you, what do you start to build together? Okay, if you start dating somebody, okay, this is usually what happens. You start dating somebody, and you start to have positive experiences together. You start to have positive, what, stories. Remember that time we went, our first date, our first kiss, uh, you know, those kind of things. We started putting them together, and then, and then you had the honeymoon story, and hopefully it was, went well, you know. We have funny stories. Those stories begin to form our relationship together. And if, but if you do not have stories of trust together, and, and you don't come with stories of trust to that relationship, it's not going to work. So, for example, I know a couple, and one of, one of, uh, one of, this, uh, of them, of this couple... Has, has faced abuse and then uh, abandonment and, and uh, betrayal throughout her life. She gets into a relationship, gets married. Guess what happens? He's cheating on her all the time. Every little hint. Oh, you're cheating on me. 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 You follow where I'm getting at this? The guy's like, no, I'm not. And there's nothing he can do to convince her. Because everything she is, the story she brought to that, that relationship was a story of harm, hurt, abuse, abandonment. And so there, she brought it in. There was no trust. So, to have a healthy relationship, it has to be built on a healthy story. And here's the thing. This is where the gospel helps us in our relationships. Think about it. Because if, if we don't have the gospel, in, in other words, if there isn't a grounding, if we, if we don't rest in the fact that I'm being forgiven, and that not only am I forgiven because of what Jesus has done, I'm declared righteous, and therefore all my sin and all my ugliness is paid for, is done. 
And in that, I can also, I also can offer forgiveness and grace for someone else so the gospel becomes a living thing in a relationship, right? So then two people who would otherwise be hiding stuff from each other can live in a situation where there's grace and forgiveness. Does that make sense? And so there's things, so Amanda and I, I see her back there in, in the hallway. Um, when we got married, guess what started to happen? We started to learn things about each other. Right? And those, sometimes, those, sometimes we go, oh, wow, that's really cool. Or that's, that's, that's nice that she's like that. But a lot of times it was like, whoa, <laughs> I didn't know that. You know, and so on. She was started learning things about me. And, and, and so as we got closer, guess what? Our sins started to come out. And we started to poke each other as well. And so we have two options. To, to flee from each other, to hide, to wall off areas in our lives, or to allow the gospel to come in. And we can show grace and mercy for one another and help one another move forward and grow. That's, so and it's no different than our relationship with God. Because our tendency is not to allow God into all the areas. Um, so in other words, uh, it, a healthy relationship is about having, allowing God into all the areas and all the areas and stories of our life the problem with a lot of us is we only let god into some of our story we only let him shape some of our stories um so and, and so if we don't allow jesus to reshape all the parts and all of our story past present and future we're, we we aren't going to fully abide in him and we won't, and ultimately we won't. It says here, you're going to see in John that we're not, we're, we're going to continue to sin in this life. There's going to be areas in our life. There's going to be stories in our lives that aren't going to be, but when we see him, one day we're going to see Jesus fully face to face. And we will be like him. That's what it tells us. And so, same is true with our relationship with God. We are totally forgiven, declared righteous, and have become rights to become his sons and daughters. And so there's a place, there's not an, an, a narrative, an experience, a, a story in your life that God will look at and, and reject you. You can let him in. And you can begin to let him reshape these stories. Uh, J.C. Ryle, uh, pa dead pastor, commentator said this to abide in christ means to keep up a habit of close constant close communion with him to always be leaning on him resting on him pouring out our hearts to him and using him as our fountain of life and strength as our chief companion and best friend to have his words abiding in us is to keep his sayings and, and precepts continually before our memories and minds and to make them the guide of our, of our actions and the rule of our daily conduct and behavior. It's, it's a relationship. It's allowing Him in, some, even into the dark places, the unsightlies, those places that we want to hide. It's about being 
shaped and transformed by the good news and the surpassing story. What is that story? And if you're not a believer here today, let me tell you, that story, is you're being invited into it. God is saying, I want you to be a part of a better story. And that story is, is that even though God created us as human beings, and we, every one of us, have turned away from Him and said, you know what, I don't need you. I don't want your rules. I don't want you to tell me what to do. And I can manage my own life. I don't need you, God. And I don't want you. And in spite of that, God sent His own Son to live a life that you don't live. To live a perfect, selfless life, fully trusting God, fully relying on Him, fully obeying Him. And in, in that, He also went to a cross to pay for that rebellion, to pay for that autonomy and self-sufficiency. And because He died on that cross, paying the full penalty of our sins, He gives us His life, perfect record. He gives us His death and then also His resurrection. That he, when he stepped out of that grave. He is alive. And the Holy Spirit comes, connects us with Him in a vital relationship. And we now will live with Him forever. And now, I'm not just a son who was left by a dad, who's abused by a brother, who struggled trying to make his life on his own, fighting tooth and nail survival. That's not my story anymore. My story is a story of a son of the Heavenly Father who, who loves me, who cherishes me, who, who forgives me, who helps me, who, who, who teaches me, who, who all along. It's a new story written for us. And He invites you to that. But let me ask you, for those of you who are believers, are, are you abiding in His Word? Are you living there? Are you just visiting? Do you vacation there a couple times a week? Or do you live there? Is it a, is it a part of your life and your heart? And then secondly, are, are you abiding in Him in relationship? Are you in communion with Him? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your, your Word. We thank You so much uh, for the truths that you, you lay out here and the challenge You lay out here. Uh, the truth is, is that we have been anointed. If we have believed and received you, you've given us the rights to be called children of God. And your Holy Spirit has come and anointed our hearts and has sealed these truths to us. But Lord, there is an active part that we are challenged. That Lord, that we would begin to, to bring you into all the areas of our lives. All the, and that you would begin to expel and supplant uh, these narratives these false stories, these lies that drive us, that drive us away from you, that we would, that those would be supplanted by a surpassing story of your grace and love for us. So Lord, help us in that. Call us to this. And Lord, we love you and we praise you. And all of this that we say in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would God stand with us? We're going to sing one, uh, a closing song. And as we do our closing song, uh, it will be our time of offering in which we respond to God uh, by giving back a little of what He has so graciously and lavishly 
um, given to us. Yeah, sorry. Um, also, uh, just to mention, we're not doing communion just because we have nowhere to put it. So, um, anyway. All right, would you stand with me?